Our reading this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, page 1014 in the Pew Bible, page 1014. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise be to God. Thank you for his word. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, your spirit alone can teach us your word. Your spirit alone can engage us and renew us and make this word live in us. Lord, display to us afresh Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us and display to us the critical, critical nature of coming to Christ continually for the rest of our lives and the awful consequences if we don't. Bless us for your name's sake. Amen. This passage uh, deals with what is pretty common in the literature if you're working in business or uh, dealing with how to get ahead in life. Again and again, you'll hear about priorities in life and how... Uh, the whole idea of prioritizing your life has, has grown. It used to be that uh, if you had a to-do list and just went through your to-do list each day that you'd get a whole lot done. And then it progressed and progressed until now the, the latest literature, which is, is really much better, is that you decide what do I want my life to be and to do? What do I want to accomplish in life? What are the major things that I want to be as a human being. And sometimes they give you the exercises. When I die, what do I want to be said about me in that last day? If if person after person stood up and said, Darwin Jordan was, bam, what would you want them to say? 
Then you set your to-do list or your week list, your month list, according to this rich tapestry of goals that you have for your life. And so you specifically order your life to try to reach, be that person, become that person. Well, this passage deals with the central issue. In fact, it, it really spells out who we are as human beings and what we are to do as Christians. It also will point out the devastating results if we do not give ourselves to that central thing. That central thing, as we'll see, is that we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. This defines us. And if we don't, our life will in the end be destroyed. And all that we have and all that we have done will be destroyed. All bound up in this idea of spiritual sacrifice. But I'd like to look at this under the title, Coming to or Come to the Cornerstone, which is fundamentally a summary of this passage. Come to the Cornerstone. First of all, I want to look at Come to the Cornerstone because of who He is and in spite of what the world's, uh, of man's rejection of Him. So we come to Him because of who He is and despite others' rejection of Him. That's a strong message here. And it really applies to our everyday life. Secondly, we come to Him because of what we can be in Him. There's so much here to describe who we are in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, we come to Him because to lose Him is to lose everything. So, here are the motivations. Everything that Christ is in spite of the world's rejection of Him. Everything that we can become in Him and the devastating loss not to have Him. We are told here in the very first phrase, as you come to Him, this word come means to draw near. It's usually said of worship in the Old Testament. And it has the idea of staying and enjoying personal fellowship. So it's a, it's a life commitment of drawing near to Him and embracing Him and having Him. It's related to that word proselyte that we've heard of a Gentile becoming a Jew. It, that, that one draws near to God, you see. And so we come to Him, though, what, as what? A living stone, a striking image, because stones are not alive. But he's painting a picture here in this passage of the new temple. And so it's a contrast with regular stones, the regular temple in the Old Testament. When he speaks of a spiritual house in which there are spiritual sacrifices, the house he's talking about is the house of God, the temple of God. But here's the living stone, resurrected stone, it means. And it not only means that he's alive, but he is life-giving. The one who is life and the one who gives life. And notice he is chosen and precious. And he puts that in contrast to rejected by men. Here is one who we would hope would be welcomed by his people. And yet, here's the shocker. They did not welcome him gladly, but he completely offended them by his presence. 
He was offensive to them. He was hated and mocked and scorned, cast aside as worthless and contemptible. And even visibly, he hung on a cross, which was the symbol of God's curse. If there's ever evidence that you just stay away from somebody, there you go. Don't associate with this human being who is obviously cursed by God. How could the blessed one and coming powerful ruler spoken of in the Old Testament in places now be the cursed one who's fallen under the boot of man's power? But he was chosen. He was precious in God's sight. Everything he did was at the command of his father. And everything from the incarnation to his baptism to the transfiguration to his death and resurrection, it was all God putting his cornerstone in place. And he was well-pleasing at all times. Even as he suffered his father's wrath He was well-pleasing because even then he was giving himself up to the Father's will. Even then he was pouring himself out in love to others. And the Father, if it were possible, in our language, we would say, I can't believe how beautiful he is. And the Father had infinite delight in his Son. And you see, this was the contrast Peter had in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost when he preached the word. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Feel the bite of that. We hated him and he was the Lord's choice and precious servant who perfectly delighted God and we despised him. You see how we, I love the words of of Calvin here. He says, however he is despised by the world, he must not be by us. He must not be by us. How we have the privilege by his grace to love this one, to associate with this one, to identify and die with him if need be, because he becomes to us Precious and choice. We follow suit with God to embrace Him and to love Him. And so it means that to come to Christ, that you side with God, but it means, doesn't it, that many may side against you. And it is always that way. But isn't it encouraging as it talks about their disobeying the Word and finding Him a rock of offense in verse 8 They were destined to do this. And the point is, even the rejection by man is in his plan and a part of his plan. And so when it happens to you, you, he's preaching this to the people here because they are under persecution. And he said the same thing with Jesus. So many opposed him, but he was the Lord's precious and chosen. And so you in him are precious and chosen even though many may hate you and despise you. And you may lose perspective. You may uh, have an identity crisis, especially some of you Jews or even you Gentiles when it seems like all the Jews are rejecting Him. How can He be the Messiah? Oh, but He is beloved of God. 
He is beloved of God. So we come to Him because He is the living stone and He is the cornerstone. They would cut and dress stones and prepare them and especially important was that stone that was at the corner of a building. It set the direction in both ways and it set the level. It had to be perfect. And here, the builders laid this stone aside and yet the architect and the engineer and the stone expert had set it aside and said, this is the perfect stone. Amazing that he's rejected and then a building is erected on him. Jesus used this very verse, Psalm 118, 22, when he was telling about the parable, the parable of the vineyard in which the Lord sent his servants to the vine growers and they... Uh, Rejected one after another after another. And finally he sent his son. The picture of Jesus being sent from the Father. And they killed him. And then Jesus quoted this verse. That they have rejected. Uh, the, the, the builders rejected the stone that's become the cornerstone. So we've got to keep that in perspective. And not any of us drift into that uh, line of thinking. And we must be gloriously fixed upon Him as the true living stone, the true cornerstone. So come to Him because of who He is in spite of man's rejection. And how many of you, perhaps here, still do not trust in Christ because you are more influenced by other people's opinion of Jesus? You've sold out to acceptance by your friends. How many of you teenagers... You've sold out and you find yourself more wanting to keep those friendships than to lose those friendships inside with Jesus. But as we're going to see, that is to land yourself in the place of destruction and loss. For He is the living stone who gives life to you and to me and He's our only hope. But we come to Him then because of who He is, but we come to Him because of what we can be in Him. You come to Him because of what you can be in Him. Isn't it amazing that He says, you yourselves like living stones. You're the walls of this building and you're living stones as well. You were scattered uh, rocks in the wilderness, dead and lost and unnamed, and now you've been gathered and polished and prepared, and you're part of a living building, the very temple of God Himself, in which He is dwelling and manifesting Himself. It's called a spiritual house. But not only are you stones in this spiritual house, and the house means it's a house built by the Spirit, a house that bears the character of the Spirit and enjoys the grace and power of the Spirit. But you're not only stones, then he changes the metaphor, you're priests. And you offer up sacrifices by that same Spirit. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. And this is unheard of, unimaginable in the Old Testament that Gentiles would come into the people of God, and be made priests. No way! Not even the average Jew could be a priest. You had to be a Levite. You had to be descendant of Aaron. You, you had to be a specific pe- person 
to even enter into that Holy of Holies. And now the way has been opened up. This word people of God that's later used is the word laos from which we get laity, people. By the laity, you're the people of God. But every person is a priest and we all are part of this priesthood. It especially speaks of our intimacy with Him. That's why the word holy is used. You're separate. You have a special place of intimacy with Him, of closeness with Him, of embrace by Him. We're called a holy nation in verse 9. A royal priesthood so that we're priests of a king and we share in His majesty and His royalty. Uh, we have a kingly uh, heir in the sense that we, we enjoy His reign and one day we will reign with Him. How could we, we sinners, we rebels, be called royalty? But we're royal priests. You, you see us being intimate then with God and, and, and enjoying the dignity of those who are close with Him. We may be despised and hated by the world. And they may think we're a bunch of crazy religious fanatic. People that need to just be written off. And yet, we're royal priesthood having intimacy with God through Jesus Christ. We are called, in verse 9, a chosen race. So He is said to be chosen. We are said to be chosen. So that in choosing Him, we are in Him and we are chosen with Him. That's the idea. That the Father sets His love upon His own Son and He is precious to Him. And here are the words for us. We are chosen as well. We are precious to this God because it says that we are people for His own possession. A people for His own possession. And that means that we have an, an intimacy and a delight that we are counted as treasure to Him. He has unlimited joy in embracing us and having us. So here we are, living stones, gleaming and teeming with life, no longer shapeless and dead and disunited and valueless, but the divine architect is putting us into place in connection with one another. And this is a biological building. It is a building that is made up of people, a, a building that is continuing to have new and rich additions, new rooms of love and comfort and encouragement being built all the time. It's hard to picture the glory of this building, but it is a building of holiness and love, and we are being built into this place in which God Himself dwells. It's interesting that we are called the a people for his own possession. And he even says in verse 10, you once were not a people. And the indication here, you were nameless nobodies. You belonged to nobody or, or, or no thing. Even though physically perhaps we might. Even though we may have belonged to this fraternity. Or we're part of that group. He says, in regard to God, if you're not in union with Him, you're just a nameless nobody. You have no connection in this world. Because all meaning is to be found in Him. And you become a people in Christ and in Christ alone. Now we have an incredible status in Him that we don't deserve because we came to Him as sinners. He found us, we didn't find Him. 
He showed us mercy. We didn't look for that mercy. We were just those who had no mercy. Our lives were not marked by mercy. We didn't extend that mercy to others, but that mercy has come to us and found us. And so He has remade us into a new people. So, according to this passage, you are a shapeless, nameless thing out there, and yet God desires you. And He desires to draw you and you are important to Him. And He appeals to you personally to say, come and be a part of the temple of God that is being built in the earth and that will last forever and ever. And it says in that context that we offer spiritual sacrifices. This primarily, I think, is the Romans 12, one passage where we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, several times God says, I dwell in a high and holy place and with the broken and contrite heart. So my dwelling place is with the broken, the lowly, the humble. And here, the form is that we are those who offer spiritual sacrifices. In other words... We have been broken and humble before God. We have seen our sins. We have experienced His forgiveness. And what is our response? We humbly and contritely give our lives up to Him and say, My life is no longer my own. It's yours. Make me whatever you want me to be. Change me, Lord. Dwell in me. Strengthen me. Conform me to the image of Christ. I'm no longer my own. And Paul taught that in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And you're owned and possessed by the Holy Spirit. That defines you every day. The giving up of myself to God. And it's interesting, and you might look at this passage on your own. uh, Hebrews, which is just a few chapters before. uh, You back up to James and then Hebrews. But he talks about spiritual sacrifices in two areas thanksgiving and praise, and then love and mercy to one another. But this is how... Interestingly, when you give yourself up to God, how does it manifest itself? You become one who adores and praises God and one who gives himself away to other people. You can't give yourself to God without becoming somebody who praises him and loves people. Those are the spiritual sacrifices. That's what constitutes us, this glorious building. That's why the building shows forth the glory of God. And that's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians, the glory of the Old Testament with the parting of the Red Sea and the feeding of them with manna in the wilderness and all of the plagues and the fire on the mountain, all of that is like it has no glory whatsoever. And you're saying, well, what's in place of that? He says, Now we're being transformed into the image of Christ. It's as though Paul says, now we're talking glory. (laughs) Now we're talking glory. Our lives are spiritual sacrifice given up to him and now being conformed to Christ. It's interesting in this idea of spiritual sacrifice because uh, sometimes the church has wanted to say that the communion is a sacrifice. And the Catholic Church, we disagree strongly with what the uh, Catholic Church says, that the uh, 
that the Lord's Supper, or Mass as they would call it, is a fresh sacrifice of Christ. And we would say, no, it's not a fresh sacrifice. Sacrifice of Christ has occurred already. But I think it's good to think of communion as our constant refreshment in our living sacrifice. Because we, are, we have displayed before us the sacrifice of Christ. We have displayed before us how He gave Himself up to His Father in adoration and submission and trust and gave Himself away in love to others. And so as we take communion, we are refreshing ourselves that we are priests who give ourselves up to the will of God and give ourselves to praise and love. And, you know, in my thinking, having a life of praise and love ain't half bad. (laughs) I'm trying to underplay that. A life that's devoted to praise and love, a life that's marked with thanksgiving and the joy of giving yourself away to others, that's life. That's why you're called living stones, because you've come alive to what you're made to be, people who praise God, people who love other people. And isn't it comforting to know that He is the cornerstone. He supports the whole by His power. We have no power. We have no strength to be these kinds of people. We get our life from Him. He's the living stone that imparts richly and abundantly His life to us. We have no excuse for not more and more having these lives of dedicated sacrifice to Him because He is the living one, the Lord of all. And isn't it encouraging that our sacrifices, as weak as they'll be and as imperfect as they'll be, in verse 5, they're made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So always, all my life of seeking Him and seeking to give myself away and all of my mixed motives and my failure and weakness, still in Christ, I'm constantly accepted. It's all in the context of accepted Love by God as a child of God. And in that comfortable and safe and protected environment, associated completely with Jesus Christ and accepted in Christ, I take my baby steps and more steps and more steps to make my life a sacrifice for Him. But lastly, you come to Him because not coming to Him is to lose everything. It's to lose everything. We've already referred to the fact that verse 4, he's rejected by men. And he, he speaks of the honor that we have if we believe and the fact that if, we, if you believe him and give your life to him in verse 6, you will not be put to shame. But then the immediate contrast, in fact, the way it is in the original language in verse 7, the word believe and not believe are just put right together. You have honor. You are so associated with Christ that you have honor in Him. You're accepted in Him. You're in, intimate with God through Him if, if you believe. But if unbelief, that's the feel of it. But if you don't believe, then this stone is not going to go away. And that's what we tend to think. I'll just put Him aside and I'll be distant from Him. If I don't think about him, I don't have to worry about it. I'll just think about this later. But this passage is saying the stone is there. The stone is there. And either your life will rest upon it 
and be built upon it, and you'll receive life from it, and you'll become a true human being through this living stone that is offered to you, or this stone will crush you. The idea of stumbling is like when I was walking uh, with a friend, we took two 12-year-old boys up Mount Leconte, which is the tallest mountain in Tennessee. I know it's nothing like Colorado, Lauren, um, <clears throat> but for Tennessee. So, but we got to certain sections where there was a cable and there was a drop-off 500 feet. And you can believe that we made sure those boys held on to that cable and we held on to that cable and we find up and down. But the idea of stumbling here is not just you might trip a little. It's stumbling into the abyss. It's stumbling into darkness forever and destruction forever if you will not believe in Him. And the stone is there. And the stone is one you'll have to deal with either as the source of your life or as the source of your death. And here's the awful truth. As he points out here, there's a continuity between what they did in rejecting Christ and what people are doing in verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word. He is drawing a line from those who crucified Christ to those who don't trust in Christ right now. And it's very important for you and I to see this. As one has written, an offer from the hand of God cannot be innocently refused. It cannot be innocently refused. So that the highest manifestation of the divine love is the offer of His Son. And so the culmination, you might say, in the apex of human sin is then to reject this God who's offered His Son to you. It's the most awful manifestation of our lostness that when this God offers His Son this love so great that He gave His Son for us and we turn away from it, it's the climax and consummation of the original guilt that we were plunged into. And dear friend, it puts you in the same class as those who crucified Christ. There are those who embrace Christ, those who crucify Christ. Will you be with those who crucified Him? And you do so if you simply say, I will not trust Him. I will not give my life to Him. I will not make Him my living stone. And there may be a lot of excuses. Well, I just... I'm not convinced of it. Or, I just can't understand these things. I'm, I'm so humble. Or, I don't have the natural illumination maybe that some people... We can make all kinds of excuses. But the real problem is we are resisting His love. We are resisting God Himself. And so I urge you, whoever you are... As you leave here, there's a stone that you have to deal with. There's a stone that will benefit you every day of your life. Or a stone in the final that will be a stone of stumbling for you. You take offense at Him and you side with those who would crucify Him. And you say, I will not have Him. Oh, I urge you, trust Him. Trust Him. Come to Him 
as a living stone and become yourself a living stone and bear the glory of God. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may there be no one here who clashes himself in a ruinous encounter against the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Oh, may it be a happy encounter with Christ. One full of faith, Lord, we will not believe apart from your grace. Draw us, grant us that faith. Enable us, Lord, to trust you, to see your beauty, to see all that we can become in you, to see that as human beings we will only flourish and and find our meaning in the Lord Jesus Christ who is given for us. Oh, bless us, Lord, that we will embrace this living stone. For we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.